Jiminy Cricket Kids. Those eyes on the back of the seats would tell me if I'm going off the wrong course. Louis is not well this morning. I hope she'll still be there when I get home. Two of our girls and our young girls have got conjunctivitis. And Louise has held the too hard, and now she's got swollen eyelids, can hardly see, she's got headaches. But I'm sure she'll have my dinner ready when I get home. <laughs> so this morning, we're looking, for, we're going to continue this series, Preparing to Climb. Um, and of course, my subject is climbing with the right gear. Okay, And it all depends what type of hills you're going to be climbing. This, a pair of trainers, Shorts and a t-shirt is all you need, isn't it? But of course, supposing it's a bit different to climb. You're climbing a rock face and you need all those equipment. Or perhaps you're climbing up a, a rock face, you've got your, your crampons and a few other things. Or you're hanging on for dear life. I remember when Louise took that picture of me those years ago. <laughs> well, sorry. And this picture, this is a free picture I got this week, and I love it. She's in a, in a euphoria. She's climbed the mountain, and then you look behind her and realise she's got a long way to go to get to the top of it. But of course, it's about getting the right equipment. And I've been thinking of praying, you know, it all depends when you're going. Are you just going for an afternoon stroll? Is it in the summer? Is it in like, the conditions outside? Are you going to be staying overnight on the hill or the mountain? Is it a, a five-day trek? So I thought, look at this picture. I took this picture. I actually took this. I took various chairlifts to the top of the mountain and there's only one way down and that is by skiing. And I said to Louise, will they recognise me? That is me at the front and one of my sons. And here's a close-up. Obvious, isn't it? And then you hear that Jiminy Cricket when my wife said to me, Barry... Why are you doing a talk about going down the hill on skis when we're supposed to be climbing up the hill? And I thought that's a very good question and I decided to totally ignore it because what struck me about... is it's all about the clothes you wear. Now, excuse me while I just get my bag out. Okay, I've got some bits. Here we go, here we go. And have I got anything else? And of course, you have a hat. The idea of oh, when you're going skiing, you think, now when I was skiing in Bulgaria and France and Andorra, it's minus 10 to minus 20, minus 25. You know, we had it, what, minus 7? And you might go out for 10 minutes. I am out on the ski slopes for about 8 or 9 hours in the cold. No, that's a bit of a... Oh, I know, it is impressive, isn't it? And of course, you have to have the right gear. Now, as you can see there, just have a bit of green. You have your hat on. You have your goggles. The goggles are there designed because of the bright sunshine. You can get snow blindness. And you have this tube over your head, and you can bring it up to your face, so you can put it like this. And of course, you come... Now, you'd imagine you're going to put on three or four sweaters, everything, double the underwear you're going to wear. But let me show you. This is the first bit of clothing you put on. It's called a dry flow. This is your shirt. It's pretty thin and it's breathable. And that's what you wear first of all. The next thing you put on is a fleece. You don't want it very thick, you want it quite thin. This is the complete opposite to what you might imagine. You imagine chunky pullovers, perhaps two, a vest, a shirt, and you wear that. And then you put on a coat. Now this is my daughter's coat from about 15 years ago, and I must admit, I'm surprised how thick it is. 
you wear a very thin coat. Which is not what you imagine, isn't it? Because you remember, your body temperature is something like 36, 37 degrees, what it's going to be, and you are going to be hot. So in this, and then you have a pair of trousers, and this is made of Gore-Tex. Gore-Tex is a material invented in recent years, which is, it allows the heat to come out. But if you wear this, you don't feel the wind. And this jacket has two important functions. Firstly, it has a snow skirt. Ever come across a snow skirt? So when you wrap it round you, you do this skirt up and it goes over your trousers. And suddenly you are completely, it looks a bit silly, I know, you're completely sealed in your outfit. The other second thing your ski jacket must have is zips down the side so that you can let the heat out. So at minus 20, you're letting the heat out of your clothes because you get so hot. And you wear these special clothes and you've got your sticks and your skis. And for the first few years, I had lessons of skiing. And then we went, just me and my two boys and a skateboarder. We're not going to talk about the skateboarder. He was a sad individual. He went on a skateboard and not on skis. Skiers, skiers have an issue with skateboards. And we drove to Teen in France. I went to the Upper Teen and we went and skied. And we had a map. And we would go up the mountains on the ski lifts and then one day we went up the, worked the route, we went up the mountains, ski lifts, skied a bit down, another ski lift. And we ended up in the next town, Val de Sur, and we then got the ski lifts back and we did all sorts of things. But the most important equipment you have with your skis is a pair of ski boots. These are my ski boots. Don't, don't, don't start going, whoa. Okay, a pair of these. And these clip into the skis. And of course, if you go skiing every year, we had to have our skis serviced to make sure they were waxed. And of course, the main thing is that they set the tension. So therefore, when, if I, if I was to fall over, if I was to fall over, or more, when I fall over, that the, the ski will be released at the, part, the right time. Because the problem is, if it's not released, you've got to bend somewhere if you end up breaking your legs. And it was quite common to see people breaking their legs on the ski. And in this hard case, you have an inner boot. Okay? And the idea is this sits firm on the ground. And while you're skiing down the slope, you're doing your carving, perhaps going down a black or a red slope. And the idea is that this keeps you firm. Now, this boot is totally unique to me. Even if you had the same size shoe as me, you would find this very uncomfortable. In here is an inner sole. I can't give you a hand here. There's an inner sole, okay? And that sole comes with it, and I took it out, threw it away, and I said to the people, I need a proper sole. And they found a sole on the shelf, they put it into a machine with my foot, the sole got heated up, and then became the same shape as my foot. So suddenly in this boot, I'm completely fixed. So the problem is, when you, if I come over here, you don't want to be turning your foot inside the boot, and then your boot catching up. You want it to be firm and in control. And even if you're getting mountain sh shoes, boots for the climb in the mountain, or the, you can get insoles, inner soles that actually we moulded to your foot perfectly. Because when you're climbing a mountain or walking up a hill, you don't want to be slipping and sliding and spraining your ankle. And this means on the mountain, I'm completely doing my buckles up. I'm in control because my foot is not slipping around. And it struck me as I started preparing about this that the clothes you have for skiing is very similar to the clothes you'd have for climbing a mountain. You don't need lots of actually uh, of equipment, not lots of pullovers. 
You just need the right quality. And to be honest, you need to invest the money. Yes, you can buy a jacket for 50 quid, but it's going to cost you two or three hundred pounds. It's going to cost you three or four hundred pounds for boots, but it's the right equipment. And if I had to say to you, if you're going to go climbing, those who, I don't do hiking. I don't see the point of walking when I've got a car. And the thing is, it's better to spend a lot of money on the right boots and shoes when you're walking somewhere. Because that's taking all the pressure. And when you're walking up a, a hill or a steep slope, you don't want to slip. You don't want to slide. You want to have grip and know exactly where you are. And so that made me think about the fact is, when I'm on a slope, I'm on my own. And this, was, this quote was by Diana Grant, an American playwright. It is better to walk alone than with a crowd going in the wrong direction. And as I've got older, I recognise this is more and more true in my life. And the fact is, I'm going against the flow. Everybody is rushing down the hill while I'm trying to climb up. Society I live in is not the society I remember as a boy, as a young man just a few years ago. It has changed. But moreover, 40, 50 years ago as a Christian, I was respected. I was a, a valued in society. Now, I'm seen as somebody with slightly weird views. Somebody who's not quite going with the mainstream, who doesn't agree with the way things are going. I'm going against it. Against it. it made me think about this importance. Well, let me come to a Bible verse. In Ephesians, you know it well. Stand firm there. And I've read these verses many times, and I've heard speakers speak on it, and I have a disagreement with quite often I've been told, and I want to go through that with you. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the redness that comes from the gospel of peace. And I've heard speakers say, and you know, when you're standing still, get ready to go out and preach the gospel. That is not what that is saying here. It's basically saying, when all things fail around you, you can stand still by digging your feet in because of the gospel of peace that reached out to your life. You found Jesus Christ, you gave your life to him, you now have the peace of God, and you can cope in any situation. That is what that verse is talking about, about standing firm. Now, I'm getting all my metaphors mixed up. I'm talking about skiing down a hill, climbing up a hill, now I'm standing stand, stand firm. There are times on a hill you have to stand. When I went to tea one day, we, we were there for six days skiing, and on the fifth day, we saw a low cloud. But we were four brave young men, and we got the ski lift up to the top of the mountain. We came out of it with our skis on, and suddenly horror struck us, because we could only see from here to that wall, that was all. That may not seem much to you, but when you're skiing, you've got to look down at your feet and you've got to see the distance because to our left or to our right, there is a vertical drop. I had two sons with me. I could afford to lose one, but not both. How would I explain that to Louise? And suddenly we're there. We couldn't see a thing. And we looked so good in our, in our costumes, our gear. But seriously, people came up to us and asked, how did we get down the mountain? We couldn't see. And we stood there and thought, we're going to have to ski. And we gently skied, well, fairly gently, where we thought the mountain went and got down to the bottom. But there are times when, in our Christian lives, when th things are, we're being attacked, 
or there's pressure of relationships, of finances, of job security, when you feel that you're naked and left with nothing. And the Bible says you need to stand firm. You're saying, Lord, I can't. I'm struggling. And God says, I saved you. You've got on those, that, those sandals or those shoes on your feet. Just stand where you are where I will be with you. Did you know that the Roman army and the Greek army under Alexander the Great recognised that the footwear was the most important thing they had? Because if they had the right footwear, they could walk fast and walk far. Do you care about the shoes you wear? But it's having those shoes which fits the condition we find ourselves in. A feet fitted. A feet fitted. What that means is your personal testimony is relevant to you, how you came to Christ, how you actually found him and have now have that relationship with him and you now have peace because you have a relationship with God your Father. And the feet, the shoes that God gives you fits you perfectly. As I changed the inner soul in my boots, so God changed the inner soul in my life. He transformed it. Where I was once not wanted by God, I now was wanted by God. But the thing is, the feet here cost you absolutely everything. You may spend 200 pounds on a pair of ski boots. You may spend 100 pounds on hiking shoes. When you accept the shoes that God gives you, you are giving up everything that you have. It costs you everything. But the reward is great. I looked at my life and I was thinking when I was a young, young, about the age of 18, 19, I had a choice to make. On Monday evenings, I led a boys' group, 9 to 12, a club night. And I started doing a, an accountancy course. And suddenly, after the first year, of, they suddenly decided to move the course to a Monday. I had to make a decision in my life. Do I give up my accountancy and focus on these young boys? Or, and I decided to focus on those young boys. And that was my choice. That was my choice. It affected me getting jobs, of course, because I couldn't say I'm ACCA or ACCA. I got my first part of my exams, but I didn't complete them. And I can remember at the age of 22, me applying for a job. And I got the application form in, and Louise came home from work. She said, look, the application form. She went, took it from me, and ripped it up in front of me. That's how cruel she is. She ripped up this application form in front of me. She said, I said, what are you doing? We haven't prayed about this. We haven't sought God. After two days, I decided I would start talking to her again and having a relationship. I was shocked, but she was right. And we had a guy in our church who became our elders, and he had come from, he was a Russian interpreter. But because he married a Yugoslavian, he couldn't do his job. And he came back to this church. Do you know what? He got the job that I was applying for. How crazy is that? And I can remember uh, applying for a job as a finance director of a subsidiary of a PLC when I was 30. And I got the job. Humanly speaking, I should never have got that level. And I went on to be group things. And I thought, God, you do the impossible 
when it's just not possible according to my understanding. It's that fact of times in my life I've had to stand firm. And there's times in my life when I've just screamed at God. And I've had to just trust God because of my salvation was there, that he would do the right thing. It says in John 14, 27, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Is that not Psalm 23? Isaiah 43? All the way through his heart of do not be troubled. Obviously God doesn't know me that well because I do get troubled. I do panic. I do worry. And yet God says, I give you peace through Jesus. Holy Spirit says, I give you peace. The Father says, I give you peace. All three of the Trinity, give me peace. But I know that times in my life when I'm struggling, I don't seem to have that peace. And what does the Bible say? Stand firm with the readiness that comes from the... It's an active thing. It's an standing, but this is active. I've got to do something. I've got to be ready. When those attacks come, just to cry out to God, you are my Lord, you are my Saviour, help me. But to know that Jesus is the best thing I could have in my life is something I'm still learning. Nelson Mandela said this, after climbing a great hill, one only finds that there are many more hills to climb. Some people think I'm wise. Not many of you here necessarily. But the one thing about my... I'm older than most of you. And that means I've experienced many more things in you and life. The good and the bad. I've lost jobs. I've seen friends die. I've done funerals of close friends. I've seen people have Ill, illness I didn't expect. I can go through a catalogue. And yet, I have to go more hills through my life. Even at my age, I'm still climbing hills. And though I've got to the top of one hill, and that might be a hill which is of jubilance, and I'm fantastic, everything's great with God, and I go to another hill where I know I'm going to be down, where I struggle. It's a fact of life. My wife has this phrase, when people tell her probably, she said, that's life. But we seem to have this impression that I am immune from the things of this world. You may think you are, but I'm not immune. Illnesses, <coughs> cancer, uh, losing loved ones, relations, dying. I have a sister-in-law whose her breast cancer is now spreading to more parts of her body. And I despair what to say. But God says in 2 Timothy 1, For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power love and self-discipline. That last one really struck me. I want the power of God, I want the love, and he gives me self-discipline. I struggled with that. And I wrestled with this for a long time. And then I found this African quotation. If you want to walk fast, walk alone. If you want to walk far, walk together. When I'm skiing down that mountain, I'm on my own because I was with three people in their late 20s and they have no fear. 
While I'm skiing, I'm going as fast as I can. I'm conscious. If I hit that rock, I'm going to kill myself. I fall over, I'm going to break my leg. And, they, and my middle son, my middle child son, he just goes as fast as he can. I sort of keep up. I get to where they are when they wait for me, Kylie. And as I get to where they wait for me, they go off again. But the fact is, to realise I'm not walking my own. Yes, I may be up further up the skill, ski slope while you're down there, but the fact is, we're together. In fact, climb, walking on a hill walk. There's people ahead of me. Perhaps I'm holding a rope. The fact is, I'm not on my own. And I thought about this, Lord. I said, what does that mean, self-discipline? What does that mean? Because I think I'm fairly self-disciplined, except when I panic. And God led me to Galatians chapter 5. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbour as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit. And the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They're in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions of an envy, drunkenness, orgies and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is. In 1998, if I get this right, John's father died. Sorry, John. And um, John's mother asked if I could do a eulogy, a bit of just a uh, thing for him. Bill, John's father, is one of my heroes, without question. When I get to heaven, I'm just, he's going to be right down the front holding Jesus' hand. That's how I see him. He was, and I sat there. How do I, as a young man, do something to represent this man. Yes, I could tell jokes, he's from Ireland, we know the problem with the Irish. And God just said to me, just read the fruit of the Spirit list very slowly. And I can remember it was the second page of my notes and I went, love. How would I describe Bill? And I said, love, joy. And I read this list out. The number of people came up to him afterwards and said, you captured Bill. You, that was brilliant because you captured him perfectly because I read out what Bill was. He, the, he was stunning in these, absolutely stunning. If I had to say, what's the best kit you can have after having a good pair of boots, this is where the self-discipline comes in. This is where the self-discipline comes in. Because God says, love your neighbour. My neighbours aren't too bad, but I don't know many of them. I have trouble loving Christians. 
a third of the New Testament is about how you and I interact, how you and I get on. And that self-discipline kicks in. And God says, I give you the strength to be self-disciplined, to love in all situations, to be joyful in all situations, to have peace in all situations, forbearance meaning patience in all situations, to be kind to all people in all situations, to be good, to be faithful, to be gentle and have self-control. If I tell you the, the preparation for climbing is this, and I know from my personal experience, I've learnt it by living. By God putting people in my way who I struggle with most of these. I've had to learn it. I've had to learn it. And God keeps teaching me and teaching me and teaching me. I'm not going to say much, but I want to finish up with a quote. This is a quote from a man. I would never expected this. He created one of the biggest companies in the world, the Ford Motor Company. And he said this, those who walk with God always reach their destination. He didn't say those who drive a Ford will always reach their destination. Those who walk with God, and I saw, found this a couple of weeks ago, and I keep looking at it because there are times in my life I wonder where I'm going. Times in my life I'm not sure what God is doing. When we were on the mountain we had a map. And I can remember on my very first going to France, I think it was France, my daughter had an accident on the ski slope. And so they called in, we called in the medics, and I'm on the, I got my phone out, and they, we were in France, they came from, I think they came from Switzerland, or came from somewhere anyway, they came down the hill, and the first thing they said is, do you have insurance? It is snowing, so I had to sign a form, and they said, right, we're taking it to this village, and they put in a truck, and zoomed off in this thing down the mountain, I was a rook, so I, I took me half an hour to get down the mountain. I thought, where is? Where? And Louise went in the, um, the, the, the hospital, in the, in the ambulance, and Louise said, every time I put my seatbelt on, the driver kept pressing the button and taking it off, which she didn't quite understand. Anyway, so I'm told they've gone to this village. So I, I get down eventually, half an hour later, and I get in the car, snow chains on, down the mountain, take the snow chains off, and, we, and I go to the village. Nowhere near, nowhere sure where I was going throwing up various prayers and I'm driving through this little narrow street in this village and suddenly I saw a pair of skis outside a house. And I went, that's my daughter's skis. When I was at the top of the mountain, couldn't see a thing, we had to find our way down. I hadn't a clue where we were going. But in all those situations of my life, God has had a purpose and plan for me. And just because I didn't know where I was going, in my career and in my jobs and family, God did. How willing am I to trust him? God gives me power and love and self-discipline. Self-discipline to trust him. Is that not the hardest part of the Christian faith? To trust him in all circumstances. How often do you send up a prayer player, Lord, I need you to do this. And while you're thinking about it, Lord, I'm going to do this to solve it, okay? Is that trusting God? But what comforts me is I'll reach the destinations. Those hills that God wants me to climb during my life, I will reach them. What state I'm in when I get to the top is another matter. But I do reach it. But I'm past the point of preparing to climb at my age because I'm continually climbing. 
I better get on with it. I can't just sit at the bottom hill and say, what am I going to do? God, as I walk with him, has taken me up and down. The ups sometimes have been good and the downs have been bad. Sometimes the tops have been bad. It's been a, a roller coaster. But I have that self-discipline, as it says there, to trust God. Because at the end of the day, I feel like that guy clinging to the rock with a rope around, and I don't know what to do. I remember coming out the water and I thought I was drowning. As I got to the top, this rope hit my shoulder. And I grabbed it and the man pulled me in. God is always there. He's always got your back. He's always got the rope that's holding you. He's always there as long as your boots have a new inner soul. Let's have a word of prayer and I'll hand back to John. Lord, you know my failings. You know each of us outside in and inside out. Lord, you know where we fail, where we struggle. You know where the hill just seems too steep. Lord, I'm standing on ground which is slipping. I just despair, Father. You know I scream at you. You know, but Lord, you still love me. And I pray, Lord, you'll help me to be self-disciplined. That when all else fails, my salvation in you will never fail me. And I pray, Lord, as I walk with you, as I talk with you, Lord, I realise I know I'm going against everybody else in society. I know I'm not walking alone. I know that you give me your peace. You say, don't worry. You know what I'm like inside. I do worry. But Lord, thank you for Jesus Christ who saved me, who gave me a relationship with you, Father. And Lord, you are the best dad in the playground. And I thank you. Amen. Amen.